I mean, we've got to finish. In January is Acts 29.11. We're writing Acts 29.11 by living it. That's, that's how chapters 1 through 28 were written, is the, the, the apostles were living it. It's, it's not about what was written. It's about how they lived it. It's the acts of the apostles. And so if we're going to write chapter 29, which the whole church world has been writing chapter 29 since the, the first century church. If we're going to write chapter 29 and, and we're going to write verse 11, you know, our, our little church here is going to write verse 11 and I have this huge thing. We've got to understand the first 28 chapters. So the first week we talked to you about power because Acts, those 28 chapters you've got in your Bible, Acts is about power. You need power. I mean, right the week after I preached about power, man, it's like all heck broke loose, it seemed like, in, in so many lives. I mean, it's just like one thing after the other. There's the snap. For those of you who are in the first service, you know, I, I can get my fingers to snap in first service. Uh, it's just like one thing after another, boom, 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 boom. And then last week we talked about mission because we can't allow those kinds of things happening in our life to get us off mission. We have to stay on mission. And today... We see this all through, the, all through the book of Acts. It's about power, it's about mission, and it's about community. I know community is not as exciting as power. Man, got to get that power. And mission, I'm on mission. I got something awesome to do for God. But where that power is needed and where that mission is lived out is in the community. Acts is about power, mission, and community. And Acts 29.11, if we fulfill what God has called us to be, we're going to be about power, we're going to be about mission, and we're going to be about community. Pray with me. Father, I love you. Thank you, God, for, Lord, what I've watched you do this week. I've seen you walk, God, as you said uh, you would, and David wrote about you have walked through the valley of the shadow of death with a couple of families in our church this week, God. Lord, you were there with peace and uh, God, upholding them in your awesome strength and power. God, I've seen you, Lord, just bless us this week. Bless families in the church, God, that you've just, you just brought special blessings to. Rescue people this week, God. Done awesome things. You have been, God, you have been who you said you would be in your word. Now, oh, God, I pray, help us be up to the task. Help us to be up to the challenge to be who you've called us to be. You've done what you said you would do in this covenant. Now, God, help us perform what we said we're supposed to do in this covenant. In Jesus' name I pray. And only the people that agree with that prayer, please say amen. All right, can you do a little better than that? If you agree with that prayer, say amen. amen. God help us be the church you've called us to be. For an hour and 15 minutes? Okay, come on somebody, help me here. For an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday, is that what God, God called us to be a church? For an hour and 15 minutes? 24-7. Power, mission, community. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, I've taken you to it. The first two sermons I'm going to take you to it again today. And then we're going to begin there. And you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were kind of disappointed because, you know, that vote by the city council and Kimberly didn't go like we wanted it to go. You know, we wanted, man, we wanted it to be over. You know, sometimes, you know... God's doing some few things. He's got some process he works through and whatever. And, you know, and sometimes we, 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 we get a little agitated or we, we, get, we want to get ahead of God or we, we, we want to push. And, and so when things don't go our way, you know, there's a tie vote. 
You know, and people stand around and say, well, what are, how do they break the tie? They don't break the tie. You know, it's just, it's just a tie vote. We just got to get one person to change their mind now. God's just working on them, right? We're praying, amen? You know, uh, but we're kind of like, okay, so, so what are we doing here? We were kind of, you know, kind of bothered about it, uh, angry about it, mad about it. I, I think there was a little bit of having to fight and push some of that down in some. But, and so, you know, really I, what I saw in us is, is like we, we had this attitude that we will do whatever it takes if this is where God has called us to be, we'll do whatever it takes to get to that place of God's will. But the question is not, are we going to do whatever it takes to get to the place of God's will, but are we willing to do God's will in that place? Because the place is not God's will. You see, uh, early, young in my ministry, um, <laughs> I heard older ministers say this over and over and over, and I, I've got a mentor that he told me this early in my ministry, and he's still, he's still a mentor to me. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I mean, because it seemed like, you know, everybody's always praying about, oh, where does God want me? You know, where does God want me? Where, where, where am I supposed to be? Where am I supposed to be? And you, and you know what my mentor said, and I heard this from other ministers, older ministers than me as well. He said, you know what? God is more concerned with who you are than where you are. Because wherever you are, there is somebody who needs the who you are in Jesus Christ. So if you'll be who you're supposed to be, it don't really matter where you are. There's somebody that needs Jesus where you are. And the fact is that, that, that uh, what we see in the book of Acts, you know, uh, our days are different here than in those days. Because, you know, they pretty much lived in one little community, and everything they did was one community. I mean, they didn't have cars and buses and trains and planes to go all... I mean, you know, their community was it. But most of us, every one of us probably has at least three communities. You know, the community where we live, the community where we either work or go to school, and the community where we, you know, play or shop or that, you know, if you've got kids and, and, and baseball or gymnastics or something, you know, that's another community that you've got as well. So we've all got about three communities. You know, so it's a little different for us when we look at this thing. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and, and we begin here because this is the vision that God, uh, that God, that Jesus Christ gave us. This was God's vision. He says, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will testify of me in Jerusalem. Now, I know he goes on right there, but let's stop there for a second. In Jerusalem, he mentions where they are right then, right now. He said, you know, right here where we live, you're going to be witnesses to me right here where we live. And then he says the other places, Judea, Samaria, that are both part of the earth. So, well, you know, that's just simple logic. You would start with Jerusalem and then you would kind of work your way out, right? Well, maybe that's a little bit of a cue to us about what we're supposed to be doing is starting where we are and working our way out. But, you know, think about it, that if he had just said, you're going to be my witnesses all over the earth, that would have included Jerusalem, right? He didn't have to say Jerusalem. He could have just said the whole world and that would have covered Jerusalem. But he specifically said, okay, right here where we are, guys, it's going to start right here. And he talked about their first community that they had to reach was right there. And why is it? Why is it that we don't jump on that? And say, because, you know, that's the, isn't that the easiest? I mean, the easiest thing we can do, the easiest community we can reach is not the, is not the community on the other side of the United States or the other side of the world. The easiest community to reach is the one that, that's right here at hand. The one that's so convenient to us. I mean, the, the one where you know the problems. I mean, how many of you really know the problems of, you know, some mom who's living in a hut somewhere in Africa? I mean, how many of you know the, I mean, you don't know, but you know the problems of the people who live around you. 
Wouldn't it make more sense that this is the easiest community to reach as the one we live in? Or do we find it a lot easier to just write a check or to pray for a missionary and try to perform this call by proxy? That's where I believe the church has been for the past 30 or 40 years. We've been ministering by proxy. God didn't call you to come pay your tithes so there could be a staff here to do ministry. God called you to minister. You have something awesome to do for Jesus Christ. And it begins right here in your own backyard. This is where it starts. This is where it begins. And so let's look, let's look in the book of Acts a little bit about how all this works out. And, and most of what we're going to see is we're going to see, we're going to see the life of, of Paul. It's really interesting to me, you know, something about this is, is that, you know, we talk about the Acts of the Apostles and who do we think of? You know, we, we think of Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, John, you know, all of those. And most of Acts is about Paul, the guy who was added later, which is really cool because you're one of those, right? You're not one of the original 12. You're one of those that was added later, just like Paul. So when you see this about Paul, realize, okay, this is the guy that's added later, just like you. Okay, and so look, look what Paul did. First of all, um, Paul was ready to go to the D church. Okay, now there's three verses of scripture there. I had to cut out all kinds of scripture here because you guys, I didn't figure you didn't have two hours listening to me preach today. So I had to cut out all kinds of scripture. Oh, do you have two hours? Oh, we'll hang around, okay? All right, y'all don't go to sleep on me because, you know, that give me two hours if you go to sleep, right? Uh, but I had to cut out all kinds of scriptures. But, and so we're not going to read these, but here's just three of them. And here's what, you know, Paul wasn't called to go to the Jews. He was called to go to the Gentiles, but Paul couldn't help himself. Every time he went into town, he went and found the synagogue and he tried to get to the Jews. And they were kind of like the de-churched of his day. You know, like de-churched, what we define as de-churched around 2911 are those who were in church at one time. Maybe they grew up in church and they got away from God when you know, they graduated high school or, or maybe they were mishandled by the church, fumbled. Somebody hurt their feelings. Somebody, somebody hurt them, uh, destroyed their spirit or soul or something, you know, and, and so they, uh, they got disenfranchised with the whole thing. That's who the Jews were. I mean, the Jews, because this, this whole thing of the, the Mosaic Law, the, uh, the, the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, it had been so twisted and perverted. I mean, the Pharisees and the, all the other religious sects, I mean, they had added so many rules to it. I mean, they, they, they walked around as holy and all this. and They would added so much stuff to it that a normal Jew couldn't live it anymore. So they were, they were like disenfranchised. It's like they were de-churched. You know, they, they were not part of it anymore. And, and, and Paul just couldn't help himself. He just had to keep trying to go back to the Jews and try to go back, even though God didn't call him to the Jews. Okay, so he, he was going to the de-church, but he also went to the unchurch. And uh, let's read our scripture here, to the unchurch. Next, next slide. Ver, uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 6 through 8. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest. That's one of the things, that, uh, kind of one of those things they, they used to do, you know, like they had robes and they'd shake it out. It's kind of like, you know, I, get you out of my lap. You know, okay, I had you in my lap. I was trying to help you, but you know, you don't want me. And so just shook it and got him out of his lap. You know, that was one of the things he said. So, so he shook out his clothes in protest, said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. You know what happened? Paul got his own little personal diaspora. You remember the diaspora from last week? about how God just drove them out of Jerusalem so they would get out in the world where they're supposed to be and not just reach Jerusalem, but try to reach the whole world. Paul had to have his own diaspora. 
because he kept going to the Jews and he kept going to the Jews. He had, man, I'm going to reach the Jews. But that's not who God called him to reach. And so God had to give him a diaspora to kick him out of the synagogue and get him to the Gentiles, the unchurched. Those who don't know God. Those who had never been in church. Those who didn't have a Jewish background. Didn't have a Jewish mom tell her to, uh, to tell them the, all the old stories of the Old Testament. To, to, uh, a Jewish dad to, to teach them the ways of God. He didn't have... And so, so God had to give him that little diaspora, kick him out of there, so he go do... You know what? I think a lot of us, we need our own personal diaspora. Because we need to get our Christianity kicked out of this room. Come on, somebody, you better help me. I'll stay here a while and preach and, you know, you know, get real uncomfortable in a couple of minutes. We need our own personal diaspora to get, because a lot of us, our Christianity is this hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning, and we need something to kick us out and get our Christianity out of this building and into the place where God said it's needed, where He's called us to be. And so he got his diaspora. He got kicked out of there. And look what he did. And it says, Paul left the synagogue and went next door. He left the synagogue and went right next door. You don't have to go far to find somebody who needs something. Right next door. And you don't even have to come to church and go to the house next door to the church. It's right next door to your house. It's right next door in your work community, in your cubicle, or the locker next to you at school, or, or sitting next to you as you're watching your, your, your son or grandson play baseball right next to you. You don't have to go far. There's somebody who needs you right there. Paul went right next door. And he went right next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. And look, look, at, look at here who he reaches. You remember it was the, the people in the synagogue that kicked Paul out. They didn't want Paul. They didn't want him anymore. And, and look, look who he reaches. Crispus, the synagogue leader, the leader of the synagogue that was next door that drove him out, Crispus and his entire household believed the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Right next door, it happened. What couldn't happen at the synagogue happened at home. You see that? The unchurched. And, and listen, th th this was not true 40 or 50 years ago. But for the past 10 to 20 years, it's been true. It's become true, and it's ever more, it seems like it's more true every single day that we live. Is There is much more growth. There's, there, there are much more people coming to know Jesus Christ and coming to Him outside of this building than inside this building. It's happened. There's greater growth outside the church than inside the church. That used to not be the way it was. But that's the way it is today. Because, you know, and we've said this over and over and over, people don't trust me anymore. They've seen, they've seen the ministers fall. I mean, the headlines. They've seen all that. They don't trust preachers anymore. But you know who they trust? They trust the people that they live. Even, yeah, you say, but yeah, but I, man, they see me fall. Exactly. They see you fall and get right back up and try again. They see you fall and not act like you were perfect. Oh, well, I didn't really sin. No, they see you fall. They see you mess up. They know who you are. They're not some, uh, some just image on a Sunday morning, you know, dressed up on Sunday to, to look like a perfect something that they're supposed to aspire to. They look at your life and they say, you know, I might not be able to live like that preacher who's got to be holy 24-7 and, and never make any, more, any mistakes. I mean, that's kind of the idea that they think we're supposed to be. But you know what? I might could do this thing that they're doing. They trust you. And that's why greater growth happens there. Uh, more growth outside. Acts 2, verse 46 and 47. The very beginning, this is when the church was birthed. 
At the very beginning of, of the whole thing in Acts, it says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Not every week, daily. So you know what that means? It wasn't at their weekly time that they got together. It was at their daily time that they got together in their homes. That they got together. In their, when was God? It was a daily thing. There was daily growth happening. And it was happening faster because it was happening right there. Not when they got together, but when it was happening right there where the people were. I mean, we, we squandered an opportunity. And you've heard me say this, I'm sure, if you've been around a while. is in my lifetime, I've seen it happen. We squandered an opportunity. The church, I mean, we had our heyday. I mean, you know, it used to be that if you wanted to get elected, you had to at least claim to be a Christian whether you were or not. I mean, you, we had the heyday, and we lost it. We didn't take advantage of it. We squandered it, and we made it all about, oh, come to our church, whatever. And people were coming to our church, and we blew it. And it's no longer about getting people to come here. What it is about is about making a relationship with them out there where they are. That's what you've got to do. You've got to see yourself. We don't live in a real Christian nation anymore. I mean, does anybody doubt that? I mean, I, I think when I, if I'd have said that five years ago, I, and I did say that five years ago, but people, were, people argued with me. But I don't think people argue with me anymore. We, don't live in a, we live in a post-Christian society and nation today. That's where we live. That's where we are. And so we've got to look at this thing totally different. It is not about just getting people to the church. It is about getting out there and making relationships with them where they are. Look, look also, this is Acts chapter 2, but let's, let's look at Acts chapter 19, 17 chapters later, and we see the exact same formula is happening. Paul entered the synagogue, spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God, but some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way, the way of Christ, so Paul left them. Again, Paul tries again, and he gets another little diaspora. God kicks him out and says, get back where you belong, guy. Man, you know, get back, get back to what you're called to do. How many of you need, you know, I, I just got to stop here for a second. How many of you need a personal diaspora? You need God to kick you in the seat of the pants to get you back to where you're supposed to be. You don't have to raise your hand or come forward for prayer right now. Okay, we're not going to embarrass you, right? But just be honest. I need a kick in the pants from God. So Paul got another one. And what did he do? He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall. The lecture hall, Tyrannus. He, had a, he took them to the lecture hall. Just a, a place to gather, a place to, to sit and listen to other people talk and talk. And man, uh, societies back in those days, the, the cities back, they just loved to sit around and talk and hear other people talk. If you had a crazy, weird, or different idea, they loved to hear you talk. And so, so people came, and so for two years, this is what he did. Went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the Word of God. Now, 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 listen, understand this. When, when you and I say Asia, we think about a continent, right? We think about a whole... Uh, that's not what he's saying here. The province of Asia. So it was the part of the Roman Empire that was in Asia. So it was really about, around that area of Ephesus, okay? That's where Paul was at this time. And so here's what, it, here's what he did. Is for two years, he hunkered down in Ephesus. He, he didn't, he didn't like go to the church and just stay at the church. He went to the lecture hall where people were. And he gave himself for two years. To, he poured himself into them for two years. And it says that everybody in Ephesus, everybody in that whole region, kind of like the metropolis of Ephesus, everybody that was there and, and, the, and the whole region, every one of them heard the Word of God. You know how that happens? Here, here's the thing. is you and I, we make evangelism about five minutes long. Get a, get a burden on our heart, write a check to do some evangelism. That's evangelism to us. 
Paul spent two years. And look at the fruit. Everybody didn't receive, but everybody heard the Word of God because he poured himself in there for two years. And and then then I want to show you something. And I just found this yesterday. I just stumbled across this yesterday. I've been preparing this message for for two or three months. And uh, I know it might not look like it. You might not say, well, it should ought to be a lot better if you've been working on it that long, Pastor. But but I've been preparing this message for two or three months, and all of a sudden yesterday, boom, here's a a scripture right here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. Paul was in Ephesus. While he was in Ephesus, he was writing the first letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, okay? He was writing that. And while he was writing that, he says, look, I've been in Ephesus for a long time, but I want to be here until the Feast of Pentecost. And then I'm, I'm going to come. He said, I'm going to stay here till then because there is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. Boom, man, when I saw that yesterday. Wow, what a message to us. Because what have we been praying? We've not been praying, God, I want to go to Kimberly. God, I want an IGA building. God, I want a big building. God, I want the grocery store. God, I want, no, no. We said, God, you choose what you want us to have. You put us where you want us to be. And God, oh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 6, 7, and 8, God, you open doors that no man can close and so that we can walk through them where you want us to be. And you close the doors that we don't need to walk through. And don't let us kick the door down and even get in the door. You open and close the door. And boom, look at what this says right here. A wide open door for a great work here. You know, I just, I just saw that yesterday. I thought, wow, what an awesome thing to, to tell our church. And, 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 you know, but God's probably been wanting me to see that for a long time. I mean, you ever had that happen? You know, where, where you, think, you think, man, let me tell you, I just discovered something awesome and amazing, and God is like, I've been trying to tell you that for months. God knew, God knew two or three months ago when he started laying this message on my heart, he was going to throw this in here. You know, but it's kind of, kind of like my two-year-old grandson, Colin, you know, he, he's always, stun- I, I keep telling him, watch your feet, watch your feet when you walk. He's always, I guess when you're two years old, though, about this tall, the only way to look is up, right? I guess, so that's why I keep stumbling over things. And maybe that's what we do spiritually as well. It's when we're looking for God, it's like we're always looking, you know, looking up and looking up. And so sometimes God, you know, if he can't get us to see something, he just puts it right in our path. So we stumble over it and say, oh, wow, what an amazing thing in God. Yeah, yeah, I know. He's been trying to get us to see that forever. A wide open door has opened for me. And even though there's much opposition, the door is wide open. And I'm going to stay here a little longer. Because even though there's much opposition, the door is wide. Somebody needs to understand this. There is always going to be opposition. A wide open door does not mean no opposition. The devil does not like you being in the will of God. Now, you can take your first couple of steps in the direction of the will of God. But when you get to that place that you have to start taking steps of faith, where you don't see what the next step is going to be, and, 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 you know, and you're having to pick up your, your foot knowing that it's got to come down somewhere, and I don't see it yet, you got, but you got to pick up your foot and take a step of faith, and you don't know where it's going to be. That's when the enemy, you, 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 you know, he doesn't care if you take a couple of steps, and, and everything, but when you start stepping out in faith, then he's going to start attacking you and, and tr- trying to make you fearful because he wants you to stop dead in your tracks and turn around and go back where you came from because he doesn't want you walking in faith into the will of God. There is going to be opposition. But what you have to do is you have to walk through the open door. So here's the question. Will we walk through the open doors of 2013? Will we? Not, 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 not just as a church. Because here's the thing. I can, pre- I can preach this message. I can preach this message every single day of this year. We can, we can make videos. And 
We can put up banners and signs everywhere and we can say, this is who we're going to be and this is who we're going to be and we're going to do this and we're going to walk through the open doors. But if you don't do it, it is not who we are. This is an individual thing. You have to make a decision. Am I going to walk through the open doors that God gives me this year? I can't. The church can't. We can't make the decision for you. I can't make the decision. Sometimes I wish I could. I had a fourth grade teacher. She said, she said I wish you all had a screw top lid on your head and I could just unscrew it every day, pour a little in and screw it back on. I think you'd learn a whole lot more if I could just do it for you. Spiritually, you know what? I think a lot of times I wish I could make people do it. I can't make you do it. I can't make you, I can't make you become this church that God has called us to be. Every individual member of this church has to decide, I am going to walk through the doors that God opens for me in 2013. Like in the public square. One of the scriptures I had to kind of hurry through last week, I think I threw a, couple, a little bit of it at you, or in one of the services, I, I think I had to kind of skip it both services. I don't know who I gave some of this to, but let me go back to it. It's, it's one of my favorite. Because Paul is in Athens and he's waiting, to, he's waiting for his, you know, his party to arrive and they're going to pick him up and they're going to go on to the next place. So he's hanging around Athens, he's walking around the city, and he sees all these idols. I mean, they've got idols to all the gods that they've got. And, you know, and, they, and they've heard him talk, and so they call him down to the Areopagus. Okay, it's a public square kind of a place. I mean, it's just out, it's just on a hill. Now, there, were, there was actually some court that was held there, and there were some people that had, had some authority to make some decisions, but a lot of it was just sitting around talking, you know, and, and people just bouncing ideas and saying, hey, I thought of this the other day, kind of a stuff, you know, kind of stuff. And so when Paul started talking his stuff about Jesus Christ, some of them said, listen, now this is stuff we've never heard before. We'd like to hear more of it. You know, we, we just like this kind of stuff that we've never heard. So would you come down to the Areopagus and, and, and just talk about it? So we went down there and he said, look, I know you guys are very religious. Now the King James says you're superstitious. You're over-religious. You, you've passed beyond religion. You are superstitious because what you've done is you, you have made an image, an idol to every single God that you know of, but then you got scared and worried that there's one God out there that you don't know His name and you're worried He's going to show up tomorrow and because you don't have an idol for Him, now I'm paraphrasing, I'm, I'm, I'm filling in the blanks here, coloring in the picture a little bit. He said, he said because you're worried He's going to show up tomorrow and you don't have an image to him that he's going to wipe you off the face of the earth. Because, and so what you've done is you've built an altar and you've just put to the unknown God. And he said, the unknown God is the one I want to declare to you. The one you don't know yet. You know all these other gods, but I want to declare to you the one you don't know yet. Oh man, isn't that awesome? You see what he did? He was looking for an open door. And when he found it, boop, let me tell you. Oh, there it is. I, I got my open door right now. I know what it, let me tell you about this God. You do not know. Man, wouldn't it be awesome? Are you one of those people that, you know, something happens and you tell one of your friends and, uh, and they say, you know what, you should, you should have said so-and-so. You say, man, why didn't I think of that? Are you that person? You know, I said, why didn't I think of that? You know, or, or you'll think about what, you'll think about that quick retort about 30 minutes too late, you know? You know, and you, you, you said something lame and then 30 minutes later you'll think of something really good, a zinger that you should have given them or whatever. Turn that around for God. I said, man, it would be awesome if I could think of the right thing. And he said, Pastor, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. If you'll get this whole message because Acts is also about power. And Jesus Christ said, I think it's Luke chapter 12 right there, Jesus Christ said that this Holy Spirit, this power that we talked about two weeks ago, the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say when you were called to give an answer. Now in those days, it was mostly you were called before leaders, governors, or, or even just leaders in the city. 
This is what Jesus was talking about though. He was talking about you. When you are called to give an answer, even of your friends, the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. That's why you need to be relying on this power. This acts power. Chapters 1-28, through it's still alive in chapter 29. You need to be relying on the power. Because it'll tell you what to say. It'll, it'll give you one of those moments where you won't worry 30 minutes later. Man, why didn't I think of this? The Holy Spirit will tell you right then what you need to say. But you got you to be looking for the open door. That's what Paul was, man, Paul was always looking for the open door. Or, or you know an open door you're going to have in 2013? is coffee. How many of y'all do coffee? Y'all do, anybody y'all do coffee? Yeah, amen. Got a big amen from John over here. I'm not old enough to do coffee, so if y'all want to, you know, I'll get with you if y'all want to do coffee. I got to do sweet tea, okay? I'm not old enough to do coffee. You'll have to get with John because he's old enough, I guess, to do coffee. He's older than me, I guess. But I don't do coffee. But look, look at this. Got to paraphrase it here just a little bit, but see what Paul is saying, okay? It's uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 20. Paul says, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, whether it was at Starbucks or in your living room. That's a paraphrase, but that's what he's saying. He's saying, no matter where we were, I always told you what you needed to hear, whether it was in Starbucks or your living room. That's what he's saying. He's saying, it didn't matter if we were in public or we were at home and nobody else was around us. I didn't tell you what you wanted to hear. I didn't tell you what other people around you might have wanted to hear. I told you what you needed to hear. I took advantage of every opportunity I had to pour into you. You got people all around you that have needs. And somebody asks you, can we go to coffee? You know what they're saying? I need some. I need some of your time, or I need some of you. I need some advice, or I need somebody to unload on. They're saying, I need, I need. When they say, can we go to coffee? I'd like to have lunch with you. That's and you're going to get that opportunity in 2013. Some of you will have that opportunity this week. Or uh, the third thing, uh, uh, oh, oh, the laundromat. Y'all know what a laundromat is? Anybody know what a laundromat is? Okay. If you didn't get married really young like we did and you didn't have money for a washer and dryer, you know, or you had a washer and dryer, but because when it broke down, you didn't have money to get it fixed, you had to go learn what a laundromat was. Okay. And laundromat, laundromats, you know, uh, the place you wash your clothes. Did you know that that's where Paul went and he found an open door? Look right here with me. Uh, Acts 16, 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. That was the laundromat back in those days, the river. That's where they went and washed their clothes. It was the river. You know? And so, and so he, went, he went to the laundromat. Now this was, you know, we really don't know who these women were. We don't know if it doesn't say that they were Christians. It appears that they may have already been members of the faith, you know, that they were already accepted Christ. But if they were, this was in Macedonia, incidentally, in an area of Greece. And so uh, most of the city was not Christian. Most of the city were not Jewish. So it could have been that these were not, but, and so, but if it was, then they probably weren't washing their clothes. The laundromat was closed that day, you know, because, you know, they were probably there for prayer if they were Christian women. But even if they were Christian women there for prayer that day, there were a lot of other Greek women that were there at the laundromat washing their clothes. And Paul just found some women there and he found an opportunity at the laundromat. Even though it was on the Sabbath, he found an opportunity at the laundromat. Always looking for an opportunity. And, and, and then lastly, I got to show you, late in Paul's life, he's been arrested for preaching Jesus. He, he, he's been brought before uh, proconsuls and kings and, and governors and and uh, now he's living in Jerusalem. Uh, I'm sorry, he's living in Rome. And some say he, he's under house arrest at this time. It says in chapter 28, verse 30, 31, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, probably under house arrest, and welcomed all who came to see him boldly and without hindrance. He preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
under house arrest, he is still preaching what he was arrested for. Because somebody showed up at his house. He was looking for an opportunity. Nobody, God didn't have to hit him upside the head with a baseball bat for him to see an opportunity. And here's what's really interesting about, about verse 31 there. It is the last verse in the book of Acts in your Bible. And so Acts ends where it began. It ends with a vision. It ends with a vision to reach the unchurched and de-churched. It dreams with a vision to go into every community of this world. It ends with a vision that, that, that you are going to have power to accomplish a mission to reach those people in all your communities. That's what it's about. This, this, this building in, in Kimberly. You know, uh, it, if this thing works out and there's, hey, there's stuff going on. Listen, when I don't know stuff's going on, God's still working behind the scenes. But I can tell you, I know some stuff's going on right now. You better be in prayer. Okay, be, you better be, stay in prayer. Because we're just, you know, we're just waiting for the building to be ready and zoned and whatever, and we, you know, we're ready to go into it. But other people are working on that right now. That's not even us. So we're, right now we're just praying, God, you, you finish what you're doing, whatever. But let me tell you something about this building. We're not going to that building. We didn't target that building. We're not going to that building to just have bigger worship. That's not the purpose. It's not about a location, a place, a building, a site, a venue. It's about the people. And this occurred to me yesterday. Yesterday on the way to and from Chris Jack's dad's funeral in Calera. Had almost, had almost an hour, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go through my sermon a few more times and Somebody may say, maybe saying, I really wish you had a pastor been a lot better this morning. So, but you know, I, I, I'm going to go through my sermon a few more times. But I tell you, all the way there and all the way back, God and I talked about this next move. We've got we to get somewhere to get some space. And you know what occurred to me? You can ask the staff this. You can ask the staff member. They'll tell you. We have done so very little planning about that building and what that building is going to look like where the walls are going to go. We have done so little planning about that, but we've spent hours talking about the ministry that we're going to do with people when we get to the next place. That's what this is about. This church will never be about a building. Not, not as long as I'm pastor, and if I, ever, if I ever get about a building, somebody better bring that back to me. Keep me on track. This church is never to be about a building. It is about the people that need to be reached. It is about, you know, I, I, I even told Jamie this. I said, you know, I don't, I don't know how we do this. I said, but, you know, I, I don't know if there's some way for us to make this thing have the feeling more of a depot than a museum. Now, I'm not saying let's turn it into a train depot. I'm not saying that kind of a look. But I'm saying, you know, everything we do, we've got to make sure people don't see this as a place to come to. It's a place to come through. To get what you need to get through another day, another week, and to get a little bit extra to take to somebody out there. That's, that's who God has called us to be. And you know what? It worked back there. It worked back there. And if you'll look around, it's still working today. It's about 
community. It's about community. Stand with me, if you will. And if you'll join us, please come to the front. We like to close around the front. If you're, if you're comfortable, please come join us around the front for a final song, final prayer. Press on in, get everybody out of the aisle if you, if you can. I'm gonna have to start. I'm gonna have to start putting uh, five dollar bills up here and taping ten dollar bills under the front pew, front front chairs or something. Hey, get you guys up closer. Come on, everybody, step in another foot or two. We got a good crowd today, and glad you're here. You know why people don't? You know why most people don't like big churches or those people that don't like them? Because no community. The big churches that are making it, that are doing something awesome, have community. So there are some good big churches, okay? But I'm, the ones, people that don't like big churches, you go to a big church, there's no community. I, I told you just a few weeks ago about Dave and I going uh, and visiting a church back when we were working in state work and we didn't have a local church that we were connected to every single weekend because of what we, the other ministry we were doing. And about how nobody spoke to us except that one guy who had a half a donut and half a cup of coffee and he was trying to fix his chair and he accidentally made eye contact with me so he had to nod at me, you know. <laughs> and if I had been in the market for a church, it wouldn't have been that one. I don't know, I don't know how they gathered a crowd, which wasn't a big one that day, so I don't know, I don't know, you know, not, not judging, but it's just like, man, it's not for me. You know why? God wired you that way. He wired you to want to be connected to people. To only be fulfilled when you are connected to people. And I, okay, guys, you got to listen to me. Men, we can do it without it. We don't need anybody, do we? Come on. We're the men. We can handle it. We don't, we don't need anybody. Yeah, we do. Every one of us. Men and women. We have issues. We need a friend. We need somebody that we know is going to be praying for us. We need somebody that will challenge us. Oh man, how many times I hear that scripture when you talk about men getting together. Iron, sharpening iron. I, I love that because you know, what, you know what that says to me? Guys, it doesn't make you a sissy to say, I need another man helping me out. It makes you iron. Say, I'm iron. But if I'm going to stay sharp, I need some other iron knocking up against me every once in a while. It don't make you a sissy. It makes you stronger. It makes you sharper. Let me tell you who you are. And I, I, I wrote this in first person. You don't have to read it out loud, but I want you to read it. I want you to read it in first person. I need connection with other Christians besides my own family. Say that to yourself. I need connection with other Christians besides my own family. God wired you that way. You can't, you can't fix it. You can't rewire. You need that. You will not be strong. You will not be perfected. You will not be what you're supposed to be. It will not be joyful. It will not be easy if you don't do this. But you need that. God made you that way. I need the strength and encouragement from someone else pouring into me. You need that. You get tired. You get weary. You get, man, I got, I, I got to have some strength. I, I, wish, I, wish, you know, I wish I had, had an answer here. And you know what? The answer may be standing right next to you. 
standing right here, right next to you. God may have told somebody, God may have given, you know, they may have stumbled across that scripture that you needed two weeks ago and you hadn't seen it yet. You need this. That's who God made you. You need the encouragement and strength that comes from somebody else. And not just the pastor for 30, 35 minutes on Sunday morning. You need a, you need a friend. Mentors, what? You, you need to be a part of a small group. But also, I need the joy of pouring into someone else. Okay, and I think I said this last week, but I got to say it again. Well, so preacher, you're telling me if I don't do something, then I can't be right with God? No, you can be right with God. I don't know how right you can be if God's calling you to do something when you're telling Him no. But, I'll tell you this, you cannot be fulfilled. You cannot be happy. You cannot be full of joy and your life be all it's supposed to be unless you're doing what God has called you to do. And one of the things that God, one of the ways God wires us to take care of this interconnect is He wires us to want to pour into others. It's, it's an amazing thing. When you, when you tell somebody something or you help somebody or you pray for somebody and they're like, wow, and, and they're just blessed by that. It, man, it, it brings a fulfillment. Purpose. We need purpose. God wired you that way. And you're not going to be happy until you fulfill a purpose. You got to do it. I need the joy that comes from pouring into somebody else. And I'm going to tell you, some of you are Priscilla's and Aquila's right here. I'm not calling you names, okay? That's a, you need to read the Scripture. If you've, been, if you've been a Christian, if you've been a Christian for a year, I'll stretch it out a little farther than I was going to. You need to be a Priscilla or an Aquila to somebody. You need, you say, if we're going there, if we go there to a building four times as big as this one, God planning on us reaching four times as many people. We've got 120 plus that we're going to church nowhere before coming here. So is God calling us to reach four times that many in that building? If He is, guess what? Just about everybody standing in front of me right now doesn't need to just be attending a small group. They need to be leading a small group. We've got to be getting some ministry done. We've got to be getting ready for some ministry. And we've got a lot of them ready to kick off in February. And you need... You need let, me tell you, let me tell you what you need to do. You either need to join a small group and take somebody with you or you need to go find four or five other people and start a small group. You need to do that and walk through the open door that God sets before you in 2013. Bow with me. Close your eyes. Jamie, go ahead when you can. Jamie's going to lead us in a final song. I challenge you today to decide how you are going to answer the challenge of community. It's not just power. We get excited about power. It's not just mission. We get excited about mission. It's also community. That's where the power is needed. That's where the mission is lived out. What are you going to do? What are you individually, personally going to do about the challenge that God's Spirit is putting in your heart right now to reach someone in the community around you? What are you going to do about it? Make a declaration right now. This song says, what can I say? What can I do? What can I offer except everything I've got? God, you've done way too much for me. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say except everything because you've already done everything for me. So, so make up your mind right now. Pray that. Say it. Declare it. And then affirm it by singing this song with Jamie. But don't start singing until you finish praying. Make your mind up. Receive the challenge. Accept, accept the call.
that God has on your life.